delight to have my sister here. We call her Akka. Uh, people from Bangalore, Akka means uh, older sister. And I call her Akka ever since we met Sister Sapna. Uh, it seems like I've met, I've known you forever, but surprisingly, it's just been just a few months. And I think I speak for the church that she's uh, drawn so the entire family, Sister Sapna, uh, James and uh, Doris, Abigail, Victoria, Khan, all of them have got, become so close uh, to each person in this church. So it's just a delight to get to know you more because uh, she is a powerhouse and God has such a big testimony through her and not just her, but through James and everybody else too. But today we're going to uh, hear from uh, sisters. I call her Sister Sapna, but I think officially we should be calling her Dr. Sapna uh, because uh, she is a doctor. So I want to start off by asking Dr. Sapna, just tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I just um, want the church to know that I always get emotional when I'm talking about Jesus. So <laughs> if I cry or say something that sounds crazy, it's probably coming from um, a very deep place. So um, I was born in Bombay and... Um, I lived there about six years, then we moved to Tanzania in Africa. And from there, you know, life's journey brought me on to several other countries, Abu Dhabi, lived in Jakarta, which is where I grew up in Indonesia. And um, I went back to Manipal in India to get my uh, medical degree. And I knew that when I was five that I wanted to help people. And that's kind of what everyone says that goes into medicine. So pretty average in that regard. Um, When I was 23, I uh, did what everyone in my family did, um, which was all good friends, kind of girls, and an arranged marriage. So I had one at 23. And um, I married a very patriarchal, harsh, traditional person. And um, unfortunately, love and equality didn't place very high up in those um, those relationship characteristics. And, um, you know, ultimately it's the odd things that make us good together in a marriage. Um, and coming from that culture, speaking to a tradition, um, I had a mother-in-law that lived with us and um, traveled with us and on the honeymoon with us. And um, so it, it, it was certainly very different and interesting for someone that was brought up to be very independent. Um, I currently work for a biotech company in California, and uh, something that I believe that God has brought me to is to increase the representation of um, African American as well as Latin patients in our clinical trials. Um, And we make drugs for cancer and MS. And... um, Somehow there's an intersection of equality and science, um, bringing those trials to patients that have historically been marginalized. And to me, that there's nothing better that a, than a Christian could do. Yes, I think God has strategically placed you in that position there too. So I can't see, I can't wait to see what God has in store in the coming coming days uh, in your and this is a new position too, right? Um, 
So, uh, going, a, uh, going a little bit uh, behind, um, can you tell us more about what it means to be a Brahmin? Because some of us, uh, you know, raised in America all our lives, <laughs> we don't know what that means. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about growing up as a Brahmin? So, within the Hindu community, um, for I don't know how many years, probably thousands of years, there's been a hierarchical caste system. And the caste system has four distinct classes. Um, they probably were designed to keep people apart and um, to sort of propagate the lie that we're very different and there are people that have only certain unique gifts and a place in society. Probably was a good way to keep wealth distribution. Um, but the Brahmins were traditionally the priests and the temple priests at that. And um, there are, as you know, in Hinduism, millions of gods. Pretty much everything in nature is a god. Um, all living creatures have souls. And so the Brahmins were kind of at the top of that rung. Coming next would be other classes like warriors and um, tradesmen. And then there's the unmentionable class, which often um, gets put in the, relegated to the category of untouchable, um, not to be married within, and, and things like that. So traditionally growing up, the perception that was sold within Brahmin families was that Christians were typically people who were not Brahmins, and Brahmins were so far superior to anyone else. Yes, and so it seems so hard for a Brahmin to accept the Lord or because you feel like uh, as a Brahmin, you are above most of the other common people because you're a priest in the Hindu religion. Um, so how, how did you learn about Jesus? How Did you hear about Jesus growing up as a child? Uh, how did you meet Jesus? It's amazing how God can weave moments into your life when you don't know and you're not looking for it. So when I was six, when we had moved to Abu Dhabi, I had watched the entire Jesus life story on video at somebody's house, a Jesus movie. And I think it was about six hours long. And I watched it just by myself and didn't know anything about it. But Hindus have a great propensity for placing Jesus in the divine. So it's not difficult to tell a Hindu that Jesus is divine. He's a great teacher. Um, But the problem comes when Jesus is God and the only God, and you need to put everyone else away. But that was probably my first interaction with Jesus. But throughout the years, I had friends who were Christians. Um, I grew up in a very multicultural atmosphere and never thought about any of it because you have your place and you have your traditions. And those two things were very important growing up. But what I do find is in order to truly meet Jesus, in some ways, you do have to be broken. You do have to lose all the things that you hold dear in order to come to the end of yourself, to come to know who he is in his nature and his character. And so through the progression of my life, I had to come to that point of brokenness to get to know the Lord. So um, you heard about Jesus as an adult. Was it in a church setting? Did somebody introduce you to Jesus? I know there's some newlyweds in the room. So, you know, one thing that 
I feel very strongly about is the scripture from Mark 10, 7. And it's really about a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife in a three-handed circle with God. And that is something that I did not experience in my um, traditional first marriage. Caused a lot of problems, a lot of family dynamics and issues. Um, and I longed for truth, justice, and freedom. Um, the best part of my first marriage was God gave me a very sweet little package, which is now, I think, about 6'1", uh, my firstborn child, Rakan. And um, so even through that, I think what I learned is through a series of God-ordained circumstances, as I turned 30, I knew God was going to do something in my life. I wasn't a Christian. I frankly wasn't even perhaps even a believer in God because um, close to 30 at around 9-11, as the Twin Towers were coming down, I knew that my marriage was coming to an end. I knew that life as I knew it was coming to an end. I knew that I was going to leave the comfort of everything that I knew to be life, my home, my vehicles, my financial security, and even the security I had in raising my son was going to be left behind. And I left a home that to the eye of the beholder was new, successful. Um, I was part of a power couple and I left with nothing, not a toothbrush. So I got into a messy custody and divorce battle and my parents and my family just shut down. I was in such a messy state of affairs. At that time, I really needed truth and freedom. And a lady who was in a position of power that God had placed in a position of power invited me to church. I went again, feeling like I would disprove everything that was told to me in church because I really didn't believe that there was God. I felt that if God existed, he would have looked out for me and done something for me and met me in my place of need. And as I got to church, the only thing that I heard was a quote from Blaise Pascal, who was a French philosopher. And he said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. At the time, I didn't know who Jesus was, didn't believe in him. I did know I had that vacuum. And as a woman who was soon to be divorced in an Indian community that didn't love, accept, or sympathize with my condition, I struggled. And I went back to that church wanting to understand what that vacuum was and how I could fill it. I came in contact with a young pastor who I would meet with every week with a series of questions in a notebook. And he would pull out this book and give me the answers to those questions. And from there on began the journey. It went on for about three months. And I had almost reached the end of my question book. Finally, he hands me a Bible and says, I think you should start reading this in the book of John. So I went home and I looked at this book and I said, where's John? It's almost the to the end. book of the Bible. 
<laughs> it's almost to the end. Yes. And remember, I had a, a deep distrust of men at the time. So I said, some guy telling me to start reading a book towards the end of the book. I don't think so. And I'm so glad that God knew my rebellious heart because I had to start in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is the old ways. It's the ways of, in many ways, the distorted ways of Hinduism, the dietary laws, the clothing laws, the priesthood, the fasting, and even to some extent, the miracles. I could relate to all of it except the idolatry. I couldn't understand what the big deal was until... I kept reading and I get to the book of Matthew and Matthew 9, 12, and 13, Jesus says, those that are whole don't need a physician, but only those that are sick. And being a physician, I understood that sick people need a doctor. And I was sick. I was full of confusion, shame. I was this woman that people didn't want to be around. And I was the Samaritan woman at the well. I was sick of the struggle and the betrayal and the loss of trust and the loneliness. I needed a lover of my soul. And when I finally got to Matthew 27, 51, and I read about the veil being rent, the resurrection, that significance wasn't lost on me because I was the Brahmin girl standing outside the temple doors, waiting for that curtain to part so I could get a glimpse of this idol that perhaps could make me feel loved, perhaps could make me feel free. If I went through all the steps and I behaved just right, maybe I would make it in. And Jesus, when he gave his life and was resurrected, all of that came crashing down. And I was alone in my apartment with no worship music, with no church around me, just the truth of God's word. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. It's only what God can do. It's, uh, I think sometimes we have the perception that, you know, when we evangelize or tell somebody about Jesus, we think, God, I am not worthy. Who am I to tell people about? I have so much sin in my life or I have so much brokenness or I'm not perfect. But God just doesn't want you to do any of that. God just wants you to lead him to Jesus. And Jesus does everything. It's the word of God that transforms somebody. It's God who changes the heart of people. And to see that, you know, there was somebody who brought you to Jesus and Jesus did the miraculous. Uh, what a testimony. Um, so, I mean, so how did, so there's a lot of steps once you accept Jesus. Uh, so did you have a mentor? Uh, how, how did you grow in your relationship with God? So a lot of people say that they have trouble with evangelism because we have in our earthly, in our here, present time and day, these eyes. And we look at just the circumstance of the person and we say, they're probably not going to get to know the Lord, or it's going to be difficult for a Muslim or a Brahmin or a Catholic, whatever the case may be. I was so fortunate that someone didn't think that way and just said, let God do the work. Yeah, that's good. That's good. 
please don't judge people in the natural as to what they're capable of because it's God that's capable. Mm -hmm. All we have to do is just read God's word daily. One thing that was taught to me is try to read your Bible through every year. Mm -hmm. Once every year, if not more. Pray to have God's will in your life. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and strategy. Pray for him to open your mouth when it's the right time. Mm -hmm. This is so, so very important because each of you are placed in a situation that only you are placed in. Only you have your friend list. Only you have your social media contacts. Only you have your set of experiences that are unique to you that you can use. And the third most important thing, love and talk with others. Accept them in their journey as Jesus accepted me as the woman at the well. He didn't shame me. He just showed me what my condition was. And in John 4.24, the Bible says we must worship him in spirit and in truth. In order to find truth, we have to find freedom in Christ. If Jesus left the 99 to go find me, how much more is he going to do the work if we simply obey? One more point I want to make just for the benefit of those that have idols in their life. God is a jealous and holy God. I read Exodus 20, verse 4 through 5. God says he's not to be trifled with. We're not to make images in the form of anything, either here on earth or above or in the waters below. We're not to bow down. We're not to worship any of them. And there is a very definitive story I want to share for the benefit of anyone who has idols in their life. People around you in your circle might try to discourage you. People that you know and even love might tell you, that's just Old Testament stories. Mm -hmm. It's not true anymore. That's not the God that we worship. God doesn't care about that stuff. When I was at the turning point of becoming a Christian and trying to decide whether to put away my idols or not, I had some carvings in my house, which I didn't necessarily bow down and worship, but they were gods in some form or fashion. I gave them to a friend because I was in dire financial straits to store in her antique shop to sell, thinking that I could profit off of the sale of those mm -hmm. decorative art objects. Yeah. Lo and behold, not even three weeks later, there was a break-in into that store. Mm -hmm. Only certain items were taken. They happened to be the carvings that I had put in wow. the store. You shall not bow down to anyone other than the Lord your God. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, I know you have family back in India and you have siblings. Um, how, how have they accepted this life change? And how do you um, show the love of Jesus through your life? Ultimately, there's going to be people in your circle that are going to come to know the Lord. And there are others that are going to say no. And I've had a lot of no's. So our strength comes from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Mark 10, 29 through 31, 
that anyone who leaves their brothers, father, mother for his sake will be blessed in the life to come. That's really all that matters. Someday you're going to stand in front of King Jesus and we're all going to worship together in front of him, thankful that we got to get the crumbs from under the table. And the greatest gift that we have is the giver. He's the giver of life. He's the greatest gift we have and the greatest gift we can give. So my only approach to family, friends, coworkers, patients, anyone, is that he has to increase and I have to decrease. Just give them the truth and love. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the words at that moment. There were times where Jesus said to the woman, to those who are healed, to go and tell. And there were other times where he said to be silent. And the great physician will heal all the pain and the rejection that comes from the times where family, friends, coworkers will say that, I don't want to know about your Jesus. I don't believe. There will come a time where we will all be in front of the Lord. But until that time, keep sharing in truth and in love. That we have to be faithful because it was freely given to us and we freely give away. Um, so I know a lot of people have this question. So how did you meet James? <laughs> <laughs> so I met the love of my life, my husband, James, um, some 17 plus years ago. And um, we had, he likes to joke that we had another arranged marriage. I had a beautiful, very tall black friend that kind of stalked him on a college campus. And um, she interrogated him and gave him my number. And he proceeded to call me and we became fast friends. And here we are 17 years later with beautiful Abigail. Um, by the grace of God. By the grace of God and nothing else. Um, I can't attribute any of my um, success, our success as a couple, um, as a family, to anything other than God. Um, we were able together jointly to fight off all sorts of demons in our marriage in his generational curses that he received from an alcoholic father, mm -hmm. not coming from a family of faith, just like I didn't. And to raise our children, perhaps with lots of errors, mm -hmm. but ultimately with the truth of Jesus and the love of Jesus as a mixed race couple in the South. Mm -hmm. It's not been easy, mm -hmm. but God. Mm -hmm. Wow. And what a story of redemption that only Jesus can do. Amen. Amen. Uh, it is so inspiring. And truly, like we have had this conversation a lot at our house that you have been such an inspiration for um, us to be bold and brave and tell somebody about Jesus. Um, you know, it might seem foolishness to us at the time, but if the Holy Spirit is leading you, 
to what what is it going to cost us to just share uh, the Bible or share that Jesus loves you? And a lot of times we are hesitant because Sister Sefna, uh, Dr. Sefna, like you said, we think with our human minds and we try to judge people and say, okay, what is the risk probability that this person is going to come to Christ? But that's not our job. Our job is only to be obedient and to tell somebody about Jesus and God does everything else. And to see you with us as family, as friend, and to know that we are going to be together in eternity. What a blessing that is. Um, and Brother James uh, took water baptism two Sundays ago and officially became part of the church and our member. Um, so thank you so much for being obedient uh, and to be so humble to share your journey with all of us. Uh, is there anything else you want to share? I do. There's two verses Anisha had put in here um, that ground me. Because I think the perception is when you become a Christian, all your problems are solved and life is always successful. It can be because you have Jesus with you. However, in the natural, what people see, that may not always look like a success. So if I may, I'd like to share Isaiah 54 verses 4 through 8. Those have been life verses for me. I don't know if they're up on the screen. There they are. Um, God put these verses in my heart, and I don't know who it's going to speak to today, but I do feel like I was really compelled to share these with you. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. Lastly, I want to I share one more verse that really grounds me. It's Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Tribulation is going to be there and will continue to be there as long as we're here on earth. But we have hope. Amen. Amen. That's true. Um, we have a missionary couple with us. Uh, we have a missionary couple with us, and as we transition, um, I'd like uh, you to pray for, you know, the church. I know there's a lot of broken people here who, and who have the burden 
to, you know, tell people about Jesus, to share their testimony. But if you can pray for boldness uh, so that we can be witnesses as Jesus has called us to be, that would be amazing. Dear Lord Jesus, just thank you so much for making the unworthy worthy. In everything, I give thanks, O Lord. Thank you for this church and for my family and my children. Thank you for all the good gifts that you've given us, O God, including the ability to think and speak. Please allow this church to follow you in all things. Thank you for giving us the freedom to be able to read your word every day. Thank you for placing your word in our hearts. God, I just pray that we have boldness and strength and your Holy Spirit power, oh God, to share who you are in spirit and in truth at the time and at the place that you have called us to be. God, I know that you have placed us here very intentionally in every sphere of influence that we have, oh God. It is not by accident that we are here where you have designed us to be. God, you are a particular God. You know the hairs on our head. And I just ask that you bring great harvest because there is a room and even a community full of willing laborers here, oh God. I ask that all the falsehoods that people place, all the idols that people place in front of their eyes, all the things that people believe to be true, to be wiped out in your truth, in your love. Allow your people, oh God, to speak truth. Allow that truth to be planted. Allow those seeds to take root on good fertile ground, O oh God. We ask you to go ahead before us, before we speak, to prepare their hearts. And we ask just humbly, O oh Lord, in the name of Jesus, for the harvest. We want to stand in front of your throne, worshiping, as brothers and sisters, grateful, always grateful for all that you've given us. Oh, God, just so grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, let's give it up for Dr. Sepna.